Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy Rock preaches a sermon titled, Jesus is First from the Third Book of John. Sometimes the only way your heart is going to change is if you have the courage to do what you know is right, and then let your feelings follow. Put down the tools of anger and resentment and gossip and cutting people off. Take up the tools of kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and love. The promise is clear. You'll see Jesus in ways you never even thought possible when you use his tools and not your own. Good morning. Hi, friends. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I'm so glad that you're here. I've had a river of snot flowing out of me all week, and it has not made the blind to see or the lame to walk. It's just been awful. Um, so I, if when I see you after the service, I won't hug you uh, because it's still there a little bit. So just FYI. And if you're online, uh, I promise I'll try my best to not give you an ear infection today. Uh, so hey, uh, if you are new or visiting with us this morning, welcome. It takes courage to show up to church for the first time. Uh, and I want you to know that literally everyone around you is new basically within the last couple of years. We have some old timers here that have been here for a really long time, like more than eight months, and they're usually over there. Uh, so, uh, but almost everybody is new. So if you're new, don't feel like, oh man, I don't belong, because that's everybody. Uh, so we do this every week as a way to remind ourselves into, of what we believe as a church, because these things that we repeat every single week uh, helps us make decisions. It helps us move forward in life. It helps us understand what we are as uh, about as a church. And so we do this every week. So first, we believe that there is always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. Uh, we're going to be talking about church wounds today. That's what the story of Third John is about. Uh, and all of us have been hurt by a church, or people in a church, or pastors in a church. And I want you to know that I get that deeply. And so I want you to know that if you're here, maybe, maybe you're here and you're just dipping your toes in the water and you don't know about this church thing and maybe you show up a little bit late and leave a little bit early and, uh, you know, because you've been hurt by church, welcome to the club. And I want, this is what today is about. And so I hope and pray that you feel um, that there is hope beyond this brokenness. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Second, we believe that we are called to trust in our risen Savior. And trusting is an amazing word. It's the same word as faith and belief in Scripture, and it's a relationship word. It's where that we would listen to God and what He has to say to us and put the weight of our souls and our lives in His more than capable hands. And third, we are called to bring restoration uh, right where we are. God wants to use you right where you are. And we're going to be talking about that as well today, because that comes up in 3 John. So each one of these truths, hope beyond our brokenness and trust in our risen Savior and restoration for our community, uh, has a choice. And that word, to choose, weighs a lot in your life. And so I, I'm not asking you to say this as a way to get you to be a part of a this isn't a mantra. This isn't something I'm forcing you to do. I'm asking you to choose with me once again to follow Jesus because it's a choice we get to make every single day. We don't have to. We get to. So if you would like to do this with me and choose once again, 
Jesus, then say this with me. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So I have a question for you. Can I speak to the part of your heart that uh, wants to be first? You sure? Because in today's passage, we're going to read about, uh, this is, we're going to read the entire book of 3 John. It might take two minutes to read this book of the Bible, uh, and because uh, it's so short. It's 13 verses. And uh, basically, there is a small house church, and the guy's name who's leading it is named Diotrephes. Diotrephes. By the end of the day, I'm going to butcher that name so bad you will never remember it, but that's his name. And Diotrephes wants to be first. And so I want to speak to the part of your heart that does not yet believe that in this area of your life, it's better that Jesus is first. I don't know. Maybe that's your finances. Maybe that's your wounds. Maybe that's your health. Maybe that's your relationships. Maybe that's the thing that you don't want anybody to know about. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's about your past. I don't know what it is, but there's an area in all of our lives where we feel like, I got to put me first, because if I don't, then that place won't get taken care of or protected, or, or my needs won't get met. And if you put Jesus first right there, that's when the healing comes. So can I speak to that part of your heart that, that wants to do that? Would that be okay? Yes. It's your choice. You don't have to. Um, so I also want to speak to the part of your heart that has been hurt by other Christians, because that's rough. Friendly fire stinks, you know? When you open your heart up to other people, especially other people in the church, and then all of a sudden... They end up being like other twits and jerks that other people have been outside of the church. We go, man, I thought it was going to be different. And I want to speak to that part of your heart that's been hurt by other Christians too. So can I have permission to speak there as well? Okay. So we better pray because that's a lot of permission. Ready? (laughs) Jesus, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come. Again, we bind up in silence anything opposed to Jesus that's here now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we just clear this room of everything opposed to Christ. Leave now and go to Jesus to be judged. And for those at home online uh, who are watching or listening, wherever they are, Lord, we just bind up and cast out anything opposed to Christ where they are now in the name of Jesus. Go to Jesus to be judged. Father, we pray that you, your healing, your power, your presence uh, would be with us right now that you would do in us what we could never do in ourselves. Jesus, meet us. And, and we speak to our own souls right now. Awaken, O oh my soul. And we are in a posture of learning and a place of submission to you, Jesus. Show us and teach us and transform us. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So are you ready to close out? 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, here it is. We're landing the plane today. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. 
By the way, um, Paul, Kathy gave me Paul's journal, and every sermon example is about Paul's deepest, darkest sin today. So um, God bless you, Paul. We love you. Uh, no, no, no. Stay. Let's read together 3 John chapter, uh, chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter. Verse 1. Here it is. Uh, the elder. Now, that's John, by the way. That's, he's saying, hey, uh, you know how you're like, uh, he signs it at the end. This is, he's saying, this is who he is at the beginning. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, we read this and we, again, we think, oh, this is just something you skip over until you get to the real meat of the issue. But remember, Gaius is not the leader of this house church. The leader of the house church is a guy named Diotrephes, okay? So who's Gaius? Gaius is just another dude in the house church. But he's basically the guy who's trying to love his church while the leader of the church is an absolute twit. You ever been in that position? Right? You're trying to hold things together while the leader is being a jerk. Right? Paul knows what that's like. It's been five years, right? So six years, six years, not that you're counting. Uh, so Gaius is basically the guy trying to love his church family by, by, dia, by diatrubalfees, right? That's what's going on. And so John is encouraging Gaius. You need to encourage the people in your life that are holding all things together, right? And John encourages Gaius. Notice what he encourages him about. Number one, he prays for his health. Number two, he prays for his endeavors, the work that he's doing. And number three, he prays for his soul. Why is this important? Well, because your body's important, and your work is important, and your soul is important. And what our culture does oftentimes is it demands, demands that we sacrifice one for the other, or one in favor of the other. Now, we know that sacrificing your body for work and being a workaholic is a losing game, but we will still fall into that habit. And we know that ignoring your soul and your prayer life in order to be hyperproductive doesn't work long term. Amen? It's the wrong fuel. But we still fall into the habit. So John is encouraging his friend, praying for his friend, and really teaching his friend the thing that every mother knows. And every mother knows this everything matters. Everything matters. Everything that you do, all of your work, everything in your soul, it matters. And that Jesus wants the best for you in every area of your life. See, when you're dealing with conflict or you're struggling to work underneath a difficult boss or a difficult parent or a difficult spouse, when you're trying to repair wounds or keep your family together or keep your own soul together or keep your church together, you need people praying for your body and your work and your soul. You need to reach out and pray and ask for help. There, there's a guy who works on staff. He's a former member of the CIA. He's a basketball fan. Um, and I won't name names who he is. Uh, um, but 
he was telling me about some news that happened in his life this last week that was difficult. And I said, okay, well, you've you got to tell me what you need. And then he proceeded to not tell me what he needed, Joe. And uh, <laughs> then I was like, how did... And, and we, he had uh, our minister of Razzle Dazzle, Debbie, call him out on it. He had uh, our minister of worship, Zed, call him out on it. I'm calling him out on it. Paul, on, uh, on our behalf, is going to call out on, on it tonight. Joe, you getting the message? Uh, we love you. You see, when you have something going on in your life, ask for help. Ask for help because every part of your life matters. Does that make sense? I love you, Joe. <laughs> Debbie, this morning, our minister of Razzle Dazzle, has been sick all week long. She's afraid she's got pneumonia right now. She asked that we pray for her. Can we pray for her? Lord Jesus, we lift up Debbie to you. And Debbie, if you're watching online, we love you and we pray healing. All of us pray healing over your lungs and over your body now in Jesus' name. And we pray that you would be delivered from this sickness and illness right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, every part of your life matters. It does. And also, this speaks to a deeper truth. Can you imagine I'm preaching so long on just a greeting? But here we go. Uh, it speaks to a deeper truth, and here's the deeper truth. When you pray about something, it will matter to you. John's saying that everything in your life matters, but he's also praying for it. When you pray about something, it will, it will matter to you. That's why God says, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Is because you can't like just dehumanize them. You need to learn that they matter to God. Pray for someone and you will start valuing them. Pray for that part of your heart that you've ignored for a long time and all of a sudden you'll value it. And maybe you'll let God in. Because he values you. So John encourages his friend. Read with me, verse 3. Are you ready? Here, go. Read with me. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. My children are walking in the truth. It is the best when you pray for someone and then all of a sudden, God starts doing work in, your life, in their lives. Have you ever experienced that before? You pray for someone, and all of a sudden, they listen. <laughs> and then they put into practice what you've said to them, or how you've prayed for them, or you've lifted them up, and you're like, oh, man, if we could just pray for this, and we pray for this, and all of a sudden, it happens. And you're like, ah, it's so much fun. Your joy is going to skyrocket as you love someone and pray for someone, and then their lives change for the better. It just creates joy. Amen? Amen. Now, last week, we talked about the tool of anger and how anger is designed by God. It, it's jet fuel. It's rocket fuel. It's designed to move you quickly so that you would protect someone who is being threatened or harmed. That's what the tool of anger is for. We get mad so that we would move to protect, and that's all that it's used for. 
Does that make sense? Anger is not the tool that you use to get another person to change. Love is the tool, and prayer is the tool that you use to help another person to change. But honestly, it's up to them. If you use anger as the tool to get another person to change, what will happen? Well, you will, you'll move at them like a raging bull and you'll say, hey, bye, hey, 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 quit it, stop it, now, stop, uh, enough, go, fast, move, slow, stop, wait, go. And what they will do in order to get you off their back is they will perform momentarily. And then they'll resent you and go back to what they were doing the moment that you leave. Amen? Yeah, come on, we all do that, right? And here's the thing. If you use anger as the tool to get someone in your family, your spouse, your kids, your family, your roommate, your coworker, whatever it is, your friends, if you get your church, if you use the tool of anger to get someone else to change, There is no joy if they actually change. None. What's instead? Pride. Ah. See, I knew they were wrong, and I knew I was right. And I told them, and they changed, and that's why I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So good looking. Yeah. Yeah, how's that going to work? You know? Like, it's so gross, but that's what we do. We will get angry at someone and over and over and over again, and what we think is happening is that we think that we're doing something. And what we don't realize is that the only thing that we're doing is inflating our own pride. And what everybody else knows is that we're also breaking the relationship. But when you love someone and pray for them, the Holy Spirit is going to give you truckloads of joy because you're going to be on the front seat of what Jesus is doing and see Jesus doing what you could never do on your own. There's no greater work than seeing Jesus do work that you didn't even anticipate. You prayed for one thing for them, and God did that and seven more that you didn't even know was going to happen. Joy, was gonna, joy will overwhelm you when you love someone and pray for them, and it goes well for, for them. And I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I wanted pride way more than joy because I thought that making things happen was way more efficient than joy. Now I realize that me making things happen with my pride or my anger looks like a chimp trying to build a house, right? Here's a chimp trying to build a house. This is what it looks like, me trying to get things done, right? Here's my tool, and I think, oh, I'm being so great. I'm being so fantastic. Okay. It's a whole lot of screaming and banging and ain't nothing getting done, okay? I don't want that anymore. I want joy now. 
Because I understand now in my mid-40s, I'm sorry, my late 30s, that, uh, that the joy of the Lord literally is my strength. It's a fuel that sustains me and guides me and upholds me for way longer than anger. Anger is a short-term fuel, and then I'm exhausted, and then I get entitled. Joy is a long-term fuel that, man, I can just go and go and go. So I'm doing my best right now to pray for and love the people in my life rather than running around hitting everyone and screaming. And John encourages friend Gaius to do the same, even with other Christians he's meeting for the first time. Verse 5, ready? He says to Gaius, dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Gaius is kind and loving to everyone he meets. He welcomes people even though he doesn't know them. How many of us have ever gone to a church? Maybe we've gone there for a day. Maybe we've gone there for weeks or months or even years where we walk in and no one greets us and no one ever learns our name. Anybody ever been to a church like that? Yeah. Um, if that happens long enough, right, you end up coming late and leaving early because there's no point in sticking around. Does that make sense? Now, since almost everyone here is new, if you take a moment to simply say hello to the person next to you, what's happening? What are you doing? What you're doing is that you're taking ownership over your family, over your church, that this person next to you, behind you, in front of you, that they matter, and that you, with your attention, your kindness, and your love and care for them, you're showing them that they matter. Can we just all give ourselves permission to learn each other's names and then forget them <laughs> and then to learn them again? Right? I know you're doing this because you guys are so welcoming, but I want to just encourage you, keep on going. But ridiculously good things happen when you simply notice someone, when you remember their name or their story or have the courage to say what I say to most of you every week, which is, uh, you know, I met you last week, but I forgot your name. I can barely remember my children's names these days. I'm Andy. I just wanted to say hi again to you because I really enjoyed meeting you this last week. That's a script you're allowed to use, okay? And what will happen is that you have no idea how important it is that you say hi to someone that you don't know at this church. Why? Why is it? Well, John's going to tell Gaius that all of these people who were passing through Gaius's little house church, they felt so welcomed and so loved, and they went on to other cities and towns to plant house churches but they passed through Gaius' house church, and Gaius met them by name and remembered them and cared for them and was hospitable to them, and that made the world of difference to them. Why? John says in verse 7, it was for the sake of the name that they went out. So it's for the sake of Jesus that they went out. So they left their home. They left their businesses. They left their jobs. 
They received no help from the pagans, so everywhere they went, they were harassed, beaten, you know, like they got no help from anybody else. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so they may work together for the truth. So John is saying, and you, they passed through your little house church, and your kindness and care made all the difference to them. Look, when you have to push through the resistance of your own stuff, the enemy working against you on a Sunday morning, why is it that like, when you have little kids, the blowout always happens on a Sunday morning? Why is it that everybody's sick on Saturday night? Why is it that you always want to sleep in on Sunday morning? Why is it that you just, you can't stay awake? You can stay awake for Netflix at 3 a.m. on a show you don't want to watch, but when it comes to a sermon, you're just like, <sighs> right? It's like, why is that? Why does that happen? Well, it's because there's an enemy to your soul and he don't want you here, right? And so if you've had the courage and you've pushed through everything to get here, your own wounds, like you've been hurt by churches before and you said, fine, I'll come to Coastal Community this morning. And then you show up and someone looks at you and says, tell me your name. All of a sudden you're like, maybe it'll be different. It makes all the difference in the world. And the opposite is true. If you go through all of that to go to a church, to show up, and no one looks at you, and no one greets you, and no one says hi, oh, man, it stinks. Right? It stinks. And this is why John is writing the Gaius, to encourage him, because Diodrichophes uh, <laughs> is making everything really different. So John's going to write about Diodrichophes. Here he is. Ready? I wrote... <laughs> to the church, but Diodrichophes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I'm going to call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. What the heck is going on with Diodrichophes? Well, he, he loves to be first. He thinks he's better than everybody else. And he thinks he knows more than everybody else. And he just wants to protect church from all those people who've got things wrong. <laughs> They're not believing correctly, so you have to get out. Oh, you don't like my brand of whatever it is, of Christianity, and you... See, we disagree on that, so you can't come through here. That's what Diopridophes believes. He says, listen, I'll just exclude anybody that doesn't agree with me. And John, even John, who like, you know, was like the only kid in Jesus' youth group who knew Jesus, was like, you know, Mary was his now like adopted mom, like went to like family Christmases, you know, like at Jesus's family's house. They all opened presents and they were like, this is for Jesus. Our brother, literally, right? That guy, Dio, Dio what's his face of fees? Didn't even let John in. What's going on there? What in the heck, right? 
See, this happens all the times in churches. Some th people think, oh, man, if you vote this way, you're not a Christian. And other people on the other side of the aisle, they go, well, pfft, if you don't vote this way, then you're not a Christian. Right? And we repeat this mistake over and over and over again. Look, if you like drums and guitars in the 1970s, you were out. Right? I'm not kidding. Until the Jesus Revolution happened and there was a great revival in Southern California and Calvary Chapel started and like all these people came in and all of a sudden now y'all like drums and guitars in church. Everybody was all, yeah, let's go. Woo! Right? But 1969, drum, if, if it had to be an organ and an organ only and preferably a Hammond organ, right? <laughs> but did you know that in the 1860s, organs were the brand new musical instrument? And everybody in church is like, you know what? We don't do organs in church. That's not how we roll. We do no instruments in church. And literally, when the organ was introduced to churches for the first time, there was massive splits over the freaking organ. Are you kidding me? Only harpsichords in here, right? And I know what you're thinking. Wait, Andy, what about people who are dead wrong? And I'm right, and I know they're wrong. Like the Bible says so, they be wrong, right? What about them? Should we just put up with whatever they're doing and not say anything? John isn't saying that. He's going to confront diotwitifes, right? Look, Jesus told people hard truths all the time. But he didn't use anger. He told them the hard truths all the time, and he used love. In fact, he's been wanting to tell you hard truths about your life. And sometimes you don't even want to go to him because you think he's going to be angry with you. And he's not. He wants to tell you the hard things and love. Jesus doesn't exclude you when you get it wrong. He welcomes you because you're getting it wrong, and he wants to heal you. Remember, anger doesn't change people. Love changes people because then they'll know you care, and you won't leave during that messy process of change. Amen? Read this with me. Gossip doesn't bring people to protect the good. It only divides people over the bad. Love brings people together to protect the good. Sorry. Not sorry. How about this one? Excluding others doesn't protect you or the people you care about. Love protects the one you love, because when you're loved, you'll be confident in yourself and the truth. Listen, your job as parents, your job as spouses, your job as grandparents, your job as people who are leading and protecting in your family and in this church is not to keep all the bad out. The bad is always the bad. It's always going to be there. Your job is to love each other so well that you, everybody that you come in contact with over time begins to become confident in the truth of who they are in Christ. And then they can face anything because all the bad that comes at them, they'll recognize as false because they know that they are loved. You know what just slays me about what John writes about diodemophries? 
read it with me again. Verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, this guy loves to be first. He wants to be the celebrity. He wants to be what's happening. He wants what's happening to be a direct result of what he's done. You might as well call him Dio and because I can be like that too. My pride wants me to be at the center of it all and that's not the story that I'm in. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is first. Look, tonight we're going to celebrate Paul's ministry and his work here. But what we're really celebrating is how Jesus has used Paul to bless us. Does that make sense? Because if we were just celebrating Paul, then tonight would be a funeral, right? <laughs> it would, because Paul, Paul's gone, yeah. and he will need Paul. <laughs> Paul. Paul just said, and he would need Paul bearers. Okay, you're fired. That's it. Like, no, no, no severance. You will pay you through Wednesday. How about that? Uh, so, what? Jesus is at the center. Jesus is the celebrity here, not me. Look, how did Jesus get my heart to change? How did he get your heart to change? Was it through anger? Was it him being so disappointed in you or me? No, never. He brought friends into our lives. He brought friends into my life who were willing to love me enough to tell me the truth and then stick around through that messy process of change and not leave me. And only love can do that. And that love has made all the difference. So imitate Jesus, who put his heavenly Father's will above his own, who loved people who, that betrayed him, who worked against him, who even claimed to follow him while they were working against him. Jesus loved those people who were getting it all wrong all the time, and he loved those people who were being excluded by those who thought they were right. Because all of those people, that's me, and that's you, and all of us need to be loved. That's why John urges in verse 11, dear friend, do not, read this with me, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So imitate what is good rather than evil. Why does John put it like this, using the word imitate? Because sometimes the only way that your heart is going to change if you have the, is if you have the courage to do what you know what is right, and then let your feelings be determined by the outcome. If you wait to have your feelings change first, so that it motivate your feelings, motivate you to do what is right, you will never do what is right. Does that make sense? In some ways, you got to fake it till you make it. 
It's true. I know you have strong feelings about what you think is right and wrong, and maybe you're used to using tools that, that don't look like love because you don't think love is very efficient because love is patient and love is kind. Love does not boast or keep records of wrongs. And you think, well, there's a better way to do that. I'll just keep all the records of wrongs and I'll force and I'll push and I'll browbeat until I get things done and it don't work. So imitate what is good. Try it out and keep trying it out. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So put down the tools of anger and resentment and gossip and cutting people up off and take up the tools of kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and love. And the promise is clear. When you do and put those into practice, you'll see Jesus in ways that you could not imagine. I spent a long time trying to control how other people feel. Now, I knew that I was good at influencing others and controlling how other people felt when I was four years old. I'm not even kidding you. At the age of four, I knew that I could make anybody laugh or I could make anybody feel sorry for me in a moment. <laughs> At four, I can sell anything to anyone. I can make people feel noticed, loved, welcome at home. It doesn't matter your age, your generational cohort. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter your personality type. I can do it all with anyone. I have this gift, and I have used it wrong for so many years because I wanted to be first. I wanted to be the one that did it so that something good happened. And Jesus is showing me that loving other people and allowing them to feel how they feel and not trying to control everybody and not performing for you, but actually being honest for you and letting you love me, it's so much better. So much better. Why? Because Jesus doesn't perform for me. He loves me. And Jesus doesn't try and control me. He loves me. And Jesus doesn't insist that I change how I feel in order to meet an expectation. He just loves me right where I am. And it's so much better. And here's what's crazy. As I've been learning to, just to love and to pray and to trust Jesus, all the things that I've ever wanted for you are happening. All the things that I've ever wanted for my family are happening. Doesn't Jesus say something like that? Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, you have something really important to do. Uh, Dr. Al and his wife, Jeannie Pruin, went to Thailand a couple years ago. And 
There's 100,000 kids that are refugees in Thailand right now, living in refugee camps, because there is a war that's been happening in Thailand for a long time, and it's making all of these orphans. And all of the orphans don't live in orphanages, they live in refugee camps. And so Dr. Um, Al Pruin and his wife Jeannie, they went there, they spent six months trying to like find uh, you know, some way to build a building or get a building, or, and they just felt like total failures the entire time. Nothing was working out. Finally, six months later, they got a, a place. They started welcoming in all these smelly kids. And they had all kind of things wrong with them. When you live in a refugee camp, life is very, very difficult. A little girl who was watching over her two younger siblings, her mom had been working out in the fields, and she stepped in a landmine and was blown up, killed. And um, so that happened when the little girl was five, and she had a three-year-old and a one-year-old that she had been taking care of for two years. Um, At first, she found a little hut that had half of a roof, and she was begging the soldiers for food, and terrible things happened to her. Finally, she got rescued, got put in the refugee camp, and life was just awful for a year and a half. Um, But one night in the refugee camp, um, she had an amazing experience. And when she walked into their new home that Dr. Al and his wife Jeannie, the Pruins, had built for her, she walked into her new home and she saw a picture of Jesus on the wall. And she says to Dr. Al, she said, I've met him. And Dr. Al said, what? And this little girl said, while I was living in the hut with half of a roof, that man showed up at night and said to us, do not fear. I have a home, a place prepared for you. And Dr. Al and his wife Jeannie burst into tears. See, we think, well, maybe that verse is just about heaven. And it's not. God is inviting you to love people in your life, to find someone's name that you don't know in this church, to care about people. And you get to be part of his redemption as well. Amen? And that's why John closes out the very final part of his letter like this. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. They'd be like, that'd be a good guy to like have you help lead the church, not um, Epidurkophis. We also speak well of him. You know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink, aka he's just going to text him, right? (laughs) I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face. Peace to you. The, the friends here send their greetings. Read this with me, last. By name. You'll never know the power of simply remembering someone's name and saying it out loud to them. Learn someone's name today. Greet them. You have no idea what they went through just to get here this morning makes all the difference in the world when you love them. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the work that we're doing in this church. I am so thrilled to be your pastor. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving Paul.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you know my name, that you call me out of the darkness by my name into your glorious light, that you're not ashamed of me, that you don't condemn me, that you forgive me and you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you know my name. Thank you that you know every person's name who's listening right now, that you care about them, that you love them, and then you're not gonna be angry with them when they talk to you about what's going on in their life. You'll tell them the truth in love and then you'll be with them every step of the way in that process of healing. Thank you that they have a purpose and a calling on their lives. I pray that you would fan the flames of that in their own life now in the name of Jesus. Give them confidence in their calling. Show them what that is. Renew that in their spirit. Bless my friends. Protect them, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, we have some great treats for you. Paul's gonna be out there greeting if you're not able to come tonight. And just remember, if you're not able to come tonight to celebrate Paul, he's not dead. He's gonna come back and say hi in a couple months. So you will have time to love on him then, okay? To stand for the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. have a great night, guys. Go in peace. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.